Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. You'll probably figure out where I'm going with this real quick, but I'm still going to ask the questions anyway. Anybody know what the most common tattoo design is in the United States? I didn't understand any of that. It was just like a jumbled, uh, so, a, a what? A seven? <laughs> no. What do you think the most common architectural feature is in the United States? Not the Mothman. What do you think the most common neck pendant is? It's not this one. You probably see where I'm going, right? It's a cross. The most common tattoo design that people get in the United States isn't a heart that says mama. It's a cross. And the most common architectural design it's on tombstones, it's on church steeples, it's been, it's in, if, if you ever, I got to lead tours in D.C. for about six, six months, and it's incredible how many crosses are in the architectural designs in our nation's capital. The most prevalent, it's the cross. The most common, and some of you, you you've seen this, right? The most common neck pendant is the cross. Have you ever met somebody that wears a cross around their neck, but you're like, why are you wearing that cross? <laughs> because like what comes out of your mouth does not reflect what's around your neck, right? Um, but the, what is it about the cross? What is it about the cross that is so compelling that people would put it on their skin, that people would put it on their buildings, and that people would wear it around their neck? There are some bad maybe ideas or some wrong ideas about why the cross is so important. To some, it's a good luck charm. They might as well be wearing a rabbit's foot around their neck. They're like, hey, my mom always wore a cross around her neck. You know, I'm going to wear a cross around my neck. Maybe it'll keep the evil spirits away from me or something. Have you ever noticed like in movies or sometimes when, when there's something creepy, people go like this? You know, they're like, stay away from me. Like, you know, like it, it's, this, it's this idea that maybe, maybe the cross is a good luck charm. Um, for some, the cross is just a, tra- a tradition. You live in a home where your parents really don't go to church your parents have made no like mention of maybe believing in Jesus, but daggone it, in the living room, there is a cross in your living room, right? Some, some, it's just tradition. It's just tradition. Uh, if, if you have the opportunity to go with me to uh, the Dominican Republic this summer, what you're going to see is everybody has a cross in their house, but very few know what the cross really means. Some, it's just tradition. Um, some, it's just like a deeply motivating story. Like, oh, it's just so great that, you know, Jesus would, would die for what he believes in. It's a motivating story. And then, you know, for some, the cross is just kind of like an offensive thing. It's a symbol of death. If you were a first century Palestinian, if somebody talked about the cross, you would be like, oh, man. To you, that would be like the electric chair. That would be like lethal injections. That's how criminals were put to death. But what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, you know, we're leading up to Easter. Easter's only three weeks away. Last day for seniors is about seven weeks away. Can you believe that? Um, but we're like three weeks out from, for some of you it's even earlier, we're like three weeks out from Easter. We're going to be doing this series that talks about the cross, and we're going to be talking about the great exchange that happened on the cross, because the cross is so much more, it's not. It's not a good luck charm. It's more than a tradition. Um, it's more than a deeply moving story, although it moves us. The cross is where Jesus took things from us and gave us things from him that gave us eternal life. So we're going to be talking about some things that were exchanged on the cross. Um, And some of you always like to write this down. I always try to boil the lesson down into one sentence. And tonight, the lesson in a sentence is this, that on the cross, Jesus exchanged my sin for his righteousness. Oh, 
I, I was thinking somebody was doing the slides for me. There it is. On the cross, Jesus exchanged my sin for his righteousness. So if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, if, if you're familiar with um, both of the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, or some people like to say 2 Corinthians, um, there is, uh, this, this church was a mess. Any of y'all ever been to a church that's a mess? Maybe you're like, Matt, this church is a mess. Well, kind of, we're all messy people, right? But you know, this church was a mess. There was a lot of messed up stuff going on. Like there was a lot of husbands cheating on wives and there was a, there was a lot of like, they were, ha- they were getting into fist fights at their church gatherings. They were suing each other. This church was a hot mess express. So Paul wrote, most scholars believe actually four letters to this church being like, guys, what's up with y'all? Like, what is your problem? And he writes the first letter to the Corinthians. Then he writes another letter to the Corinthians, which we know now as 1 Corinthians. Most scholars believe that there was a letter between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that was his third letter. And this letter, 2 Corinthians, most people believe was actually his fourth letter to the Corinthians. And the Corinthian church, they had gotten all caught up in the way people look on the outside. You know how some Christians can get caught up on how people look on the outside? Well, this church was all about, like, they would bring in people to preach to them, and they wouldn't bring in anybody who was poor. Because they say, if this person's poor and he's going to preach to us, obviously God's not blessing him financially, so he doesn't know God. We want to bring in the guy that's, you know, wearing the Gucci Yeah, he's wearing the Versace. Like he's dressed to the nines. Like God is blessing him with health and blessing him with wealth. We want so they were like exalting people like like who 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 looked good on the outside. And poor Apostle Paul, who was sitting in a jail cell because he was serving God, they're like, We don't want you. Like you're always getting beat up. Like you're you're always getting put in prison. So Paul writes to these Corinthians and he's reminding them that there's more to just what's on the outside of a person that what matters is on the inside of a person. And as he's writing this, we're gonna pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter five, and we're gonna start in verse 11. So let's start reading together. We don't do this often, but let's do this tonight, just to do it. Stand up as we read God's word. We're just gonna recognize tonight that this is God's word. We're gonna show it some respect. So stand up as we read God's word. Then you can sit down. I know, you go, you don't like, like, this is not when we're supposed to stand up, you know, you traditionalists. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start in verse 11. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you, or, or to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God, and if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. That one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, the external. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This is where it gets really good. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come, and all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to him, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. 
God making us appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's where it all boils down to this final verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you guys can have a seat. Before we move forward, let's pray together that God blesses the reading of his word and that God blesses us as we talk about it. So let's pray. Um, God, I pray that as we go into this time of thinking about what you just spoke to us through your word, as we take your word and use it as a, a mirror to compare our lives to your truth, um, God, that you will do a work, a supernatural Holy Spirit work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're talking about this, we're talking about this great exchange, how God exchanged our sin for the righteousness of Jesus. And that may not make sense to you. You may be like, what is righteousness? I've never heard that word before, or I've heard it all my life, but I've never had it explained. Hang on, we're going to explain it here soon, okay? But there are a few observations we want to make from what we were reading here. And I'm just going to kind of go through one, two, three, okay, three observations. The first is that being a Christian is more than a vibe. Hey, you knew I had to talk about this, right? You knew, like, 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 like this happened and every youth pastor in America is like, this is happening on Wednesday. So, so he, here's, the, here's the thing. This is what was is so intriguing to me, okay, about this, this deal that I never watched this stupid show. Like, I don't care, I literally don't care about these people. Maybe you do, but I don't care about these people. But it was interesting to me when I saw the, re, yeah, I saw the replay. But here's what's so interesting to me. You have the most beautiful people on the face of the earth wearing the most expensive clothes on the face of the earth. And what do they do? They start insulting each other's wives and smacking each other. Like, if, if you ever needed proof that what's on the outside does not always match what's on the inside, do you like that dramatic, right? What's on the outside often doesn't match what's on the inside, and that's what the Apostle Paul, that's what God speaking through him is showing these Christians here that we're all about, oh, we want to bring in the, 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 the speaker who's got the biggest following and you know, who, who everybody's like following on Instagram. So look, look, he compares their lives to his life. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, look at this, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, what we are is known to God. So do you see Paul, he's writing with his like apprentice, Timothy. He says, you may not think that we're great. You may not invite us to speak at your church anymore, but guess what? That's not our big concern. Our big concern is how we're known to God because God sees right through doesn't he? If you keep reading, you realize they have a purpose. Their purpose is to persuade others. They're going telling people about Jesus. They're controlled by God's love. It says the love of Christ controls us. Some versions, instead of controls, it says constrains or compels us. They're serving God. They're not serving people to get praise. They're just not. But it's a reminder here you, 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 as you keep looking, you keep looking, it talks about, look, well, I'm going to change colors here, but look at the others. There are other people who boast about what? Their outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Those were those Corinthians who were all about, you know, the, you know, the people that were dressed the best, the people that were the most eloquent speakers. And then look down here. He, he puts them on blast 
reminding them that they did the same thing to Jesus and they totally messed it up, right? It says, we regard no one according to the flesh. The flesh just means the outward appearance. We regard no one according to the flesh because we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but we don't regard Jesus on the external anymore. When Jesus came to this earth, he had a big following until he claimed to be God. And then when Jesus claimed to be God, everybody left him except a couple disciples because they're like, you're just a human. You're from Galilee, like Rednecksville, uh, Palestine. Like, you're not God. They regarded Jesus according to the outside. So being a Christian, to go back to our beautiful picture here, being a Christian is more than just a vibe. Being a Christian is more than just a, a persona that you have and a, a kind of like way that you present yourself to other people. Being a Christian is more than a vibe. But as we keep looking, we keep making some observations. The next thing we see is that new life is more than me 2.0. What we see here is that we don't look at people from the outside. We look at what's in their heart. And this is what matters. This is the most important thing. This is like kind of the, the hinge that the whole rest of this passage sw swings on. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So I'm going to like box this one in, put some stars by it, underline it again, because this is a big deal. You know, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Our our culture tries to divide people into ridiculous designations. You realize that, right? You know, they've got, they've got black people against white people. They've got Democrats against Republicans. They've got city people against rednecks. They divide people based on, you know, based on how tall they are and based on how many likes they get on Instagram. And they divide people. You know, I, I was filling out a form the other day, and I, I hit the thing to put that I was a mister, and like 5,000 pronouns appeared. Like, do you realize how, much, how divide, people try to divide, 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 and we see this person as this kind of person, this person as this kind of person. God sees two kinds of people, and it's important that we realize that. If anyone is what? In Christ. If you want to hear a great sermon, go to lmbc.org. Two weeks ago, Pastor Lemming delivered an incredible sermon on the difference between being in Christ and being in our sins or being in Adam. So there are two kinds of people. There are people who are in Christ. There are people who are genuine Christians. And there are people who are not. And what's the difference between the two? The difference isn't what you wear. The difference isn't where you go on Sunday. The difference, the difference is not if you have a Bible verse on your Instagram bio. This is the difference. If anyone, I need to get a new color here, is in Christ, he is a new creation. People get the wrong idea about what it means to be saved. Being saved isn't that you have like this little champion in you. And you need to like add Jesus to your life so he can like make your life a little bit better than it is now. I've got this picture here of the evolution of the iPhone. Um, I have had many of these. But do you, this is the first iPhone that came out. It's the iPhone 3. I think it was actually called the iPhone 3G. And it goes all the way up to the latest. And if you know how Apple, you know, they sell a $1,000 phone and they've changed like two things on it. You notice that? Like you get on the phone, it does almost the exact same thing, only it takes better pictures when you get a new phone. It's a little faster, battery lasts a little longer, right? We get this idea that maybe if, if we add Jesus to our life, it'll take us from this to this. It'll give us some more features. Our battery will last longer. We'll feel better about ourselves. We'll look better. 
But if you look at this word, new creation, other versions translate this word as a new creature. You ever met somebody that looks more like a creature? You're like, you're a creature. (laughs) It means a new kind of thing. It means in a totally different kind of a category. So going back to our little picture of the iPhones, new life is more than you 2.0. It's, you know, it's more than Brody 2.0. It's more than Josh 2.0. It's more than Ellie 2.0. It's that God creates an entirely new life, an eternal life that is yours because you're in Jesus. Being saved doesn't mean you just get a little bit better to be a little bit more acceptable to God. Being saved, being in Christ means that there was no way you would ever be able to achieve eternal life on your own. So God had to take your life, bury your life, and raise you with Christ to make you a new creation. So we've, we've learned two things, right? The first is that being a Christian is more than a vibe. It's not just on the outside. And that new life, the new life Jesus gives is more than just me 2.0. But here is the final, here's the final point. You're saying, Matt, you're really flying through this. It's because I want to spend a little more time on this final point. How do you get this new life? There's only one way to this new life. Let's go back to our passages here. Let me find a new little thing to load in my toothpaste tube here. We saw the new creation, right? That's what we want. We want to have eternal life. Well, how do you get? It says all this. What is this talking about? This is talking about the new creation. Where do we get it? Can I go to Best Buy and get it? Can I order it online and have it shipped to my house through Amazon Prime? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to God. Well, how did he do that? Look down here. It says, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. What happened here? See if I can change colors again. What happened here is that Jesus took our sin. I'm going to draw you. This is like four weeks of my stick figures. Consider yourselves blessed. You can say, I went to church tonight and I left blessed because I got to watch Matt draw another stick figure. That's you. You're looking pretty good tonight, by the way. Um, But here's the problem. The Bible says, right, that we all have a sin problem right? And that Jesus took our sin. Well, what does it mean that Jesus took our sin? What is sin? Well, we can read through the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about what sin is. Sin is breaking God's law. You can read through the Old Testament and you can read through the New Testament and God has revealed to him, to us, what is right and what is wrong. And we very consistently (laughs) do what is Wrong. So it has to do with breaking God's law. Sin, though, also is an attack on God's character. It's saying that I'm more important and I'm in charge of my life. I'm going to let God do his thing and I'm going to do my thing. And then finally, sin. Literally, if you look, if, if, if you look it up, the word sin here, it's the word amartio, which means, who, we got some archers, don't we? Who here does archery? I thought we had some archers. Yeah. It means, yeah, yeah, that's right. It means to an archer missing the mark. 
missing the mark of perfection. We may not sin as much as other people we know. We may have a little bit better attitude toward God than other people we know, but the point is we have missed God's mark of perfection. He's holy, he's perfect, and we are not. So in in our sin, we missed God's mark of perfection. You say, Matt, I, yeah, I understand there's some bad people in the world, you know, like Hitler, Putin, right? Um, those kind of people. We understand that they're bad, but what about me? Did you know that Romans chapter 5 talks about how we are all sinners from birth? We all, oh wow, that really, we all inherited sin. We were born with sin. Think about it. You probably don't remember the first lie you told, but you know you told one, right? Did your mom and dad have to sit you down and say, now listen, Carter, we want to teach you how to lie. It's time. You're old enough now to learn how to deceive us. I don't think they ever sat Carter down. I don't know why I'm picking on Carter. I'm sorry. Nobody had to sit you down and teach you how to lie to your parents, did they? It just happened. How many of y'all got brothers and sisters? How many of y'all have been unkind toward your brother or sister? If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar and you're a sinner, right? Did anybody have to teach you? Did anybody have to teach you how to just pick up a tree and whack your brother? No. It just came what? Naturally. We're born with a sin nature. But not only that, when it talks about how God took our sin, Jesus took our sin There are sins of omission. You know what I mean when I say sins of omission? The Gospel of John, Jesus says, to the one who knows to do good and doesn't do it, that is sin. So that time you were walking downtown Huntington and Grandma Fanny was sitting there in her walker trying to get across the street and she had all the bags that she couldn't get across. And you were like, I should probably help Grandma Fanny get across the street, but nah. Nah. (laughs) that's a sin (laughs) to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it to him it's sin so there's sins of omission you know that sin also the Bible talks about Romans chapter 6 how it enslaves us how sin enslaves us there are people who are who are caught up in in addicting sins there's an entire generation there are multiple generations now that are enslaved to the addiction of pornography There's an entire generation of my generation that has been enslaved to addiction to opioids. Sin is not just, sin is not just something you do and then you say, I can stop it whenever I want. There is an addictive and enslaving element of sin. Sin deserves death. Romans 6.23 tells us the payment, the wages of sin is death. And then finally, Romans chapter 5 tells us that our sin makes us by definition, enemies of God. So it's easy to sometimes just kind of read through this and look at this, that God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for that one time I, you know, took answers from my friend for a test that the teachers knew we were cheating on anyway. Yeah, okay. No, sin is so much more than that. Jesus took our sin And he took it on the cross. 
So question is, why Jesus? Why did, it, why did Jesus have to die for our sins? Couldn't I die for Josh's sin? Josh is like, no. <laughs> why Jesus? Why? It didn't mean for my voice to crack. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Well, there's some reasons. The first is that Jesus was God. Jesus was not just an ordinary human. Jesus was God in a bod. John chapter one says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Had to be God. Why did Jesus have to be God? Why did it take God to die for sin? Because only God can defeat sin, death, and hell and raise himself from the dead. But Jesus also was a human. He was a man. John chapter one, God in a bod. Why did it have to be a human? Because only a human can sacrifice and die in the place of another human. But there's another element to Jesus that we know. It's that he was sinless. You could also say he was holy. You could also say that he was, I'm a terrible, I, I get nervous when I walk right in front of people, that he was perfect. Jesus passed the test. You can read about it in Matthew 4. You can read about it throughout his whole life. He was tempted, yet did not sin. The reason I can't die for Joshua's sin or I can't die for your sin or your sin is because I've got my own sins to pay for, my own sins to die for. But because Jesus was perfect, he could take my sin and he could take your sin. He could take the sins of the world, John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2 says, and take it to the cross and take it to the grave with him. He could die for our sin. So we come back here, we see that for our sake, wow, why did Jesus die? Isn't this incredible? He did it for us, for our sake. He made him to what? To be sin. Jesus didn't just take on our sin. Jesus became our sin. He served as the representative of our sin when he died on the cross. So our sin on the cross, Jesus took it. And here's what's so incredible. Here's what's so incredible. Look at the other side of this. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of, of God. That word for righteousness means a holy standing before God. It has to do with our position before God. Do you see the incredible exchange that happened here? Jesus took our sin and we took on Jesus's right standing, his righteousness before God. There's a word, there's a big theological word that people use to describe it. And that's not just a theological word, it's a Bible word because we see it quite often in this passage. It's this word reconciled, reconciliation, reconciliation, be reconciled to God. What does that word mean? What does it mean? I'm gonna write it right here so we can see it. It means, it's an accounting term. That means that we've been moved from one column to the other column. It means we've been moved from the in our sins column to the in Christ column. It means we've gone from the dead column to be in the alive column. It means that we go from the old life column to the new creation column. So what do we know about the righteousness of God? Well, there's some incredible things. I don't know if we have time to get to them all, but it talks about when Jesus, when God sees Jesus, 
He sees us. He sees our righteousness. I'm saying this all backwards. Let me say this again. God sees Jesus' righteousness when he looks at us. People who have put their faith in Jesus, God sees Jesus' righteousness. We've been given a new nature, a divine nature. First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, it says that with Jesus, now we've become partakers in the divine nature. We've been given a new nature. Um, if you keep kind of looking through the Bible, it says that in Romans chapter 6 that we've been set free from the prison of sin. Does it mean we'll never sin? No. We may still sin, but we don't have to be enslaved to it. There is victory over sin, even sin like pornography, like drug addiction, by being a new creation in Jesus. It says we're saved to everlasting life. You've probably heard of that, John three sixteen, right? We become friends of God, and we become heirs of God with Jesus, and we have access to God 24-7. So the, maybe the big question is, how can we be in this category? How can we have Jesus' righteousness added to us? Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 says it like this, that we don't have a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness of God that depends on faith. You can't earn what Jesus did on the cross. You can't earn it by going to church. You can't earn it by going on a mission trip. You can't earn it by helping Grandma Fanny across the street. You can't earn it by being nice to your parents most of the time. The only way it can be earned is by believing that Jesus earned it, gave it to you on the cross. On the cross, Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Isn't that incredible? I think I even have that on the screen. There it is. On the cross, Jesus exchanged my sin for his righteousness. So what do we do? How do we apply this? I have S words. I really tried to work the F words in. I'm supposed to preach at church on Sunday, and I've got F words, and I don't know how that's going to go over um, with the old people. We'll see. Um, so I got, I got three S words for you to consider in light of this, in light of us being reconciled to God, in light of the exchange that happened. Jesus took our sin. We took his, became his righteousness. The first is saved. Have you been reconciled to God? Or is your approach to Christianity more like a dressed-up Will Smith at the Oscars? Looks the part, but on the inside, there's stuff going on. Has there been a time in your life where you've turned from your sin and held on to Jesus? It's not a magic prayer that you pray. It's not like a particular thing that you can do. You can't earn it. You can't earn it by being baptized. You can't earn it by going to church. There's only one way for that righteousness of God to be credited to you, and it's by believing in Jesus. It's through faith. So the question for you have you been reconciled to God? Do you know that you are a new creation? The next S word um, is the word C. I want you to just look at this one more time, this verse. Therefore, if anyone, in the, it's in the green. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There are gonna be days, Christians, I don't know if everybody here is a Christian, is a new creation, but there, if you put your faith in Jesus, there are still gonna be days you wake up and you look in the mirror and it does not look like a new creation. There's a zit the size of Mount Vesuvius on your forehead. You've been acting like a little turd to your parents. Um, you, you, you failed a test. Um, you said some unkind things to somebody. And you don't feel very much like a new creation. 
I, I, do, I do something, I try to do it in the morning, is to when I look at myself in the mirror, I try to remember this verse. I'm not one of these, oh, you declare this and you declare this. Only God can speak things into existence. If anybody else tells you otherwise, they don't know what they're talking about. Only God can speak things into existence. But sometimes I try to remind myself what God has already declared about me. And God has said to you, Christian, that you are a new creation in him. When I mess up, when I sin, when I fail, I remind myself that even though I will sin, I'm a new creation. And sin doesn't have the power over me. When people talk smack about me and people mischaracterize me or misjudge me, I remind myself that they may not know who I am on the inside. But just like Paul, God knows who I am on the inside and I'm a new creation. So the question is, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? And then the final is share. This is, a, this is a, the big one that we really didn't even get too much, but did you notice the connection here? Find one more color, purple. I love me some purple. Y'all remember, you too, too young to remember Barney the purple dinosaur? I love purple. Do you see the connection? It says God has, through Christ, reconciled us to God. Can you see that purple? Does it show up? Or are you colorblind? Reconciled us to God. He, this is thing number one he did to us when he saved us. But there's a thing number two that he did to us when he saved us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's thing number two. God didn't just save you from hell. Should I jump again to get your attention? God, you need to know this. God did not just save you from, I mean, that's a big enough deal. I shouldn't say just save you from hell. God didn't just save you from hell. God saved you to a purpose. God saves you to a ministry, and he doesn't just save old crotchety people to share the gospel. He saves teenagers to share the gospel. If you've been, guess what? Let me see if I can get over. If you've been reconciled to God, he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see how that works? God doesn't just save someone without putting the gospel in their heart to be shared with others. And the question is, who do you know in you? I'm a little out of breath now. Who do you know in your life that needs to be reconciled to God? You ever think about the fact that God put that message of reconciliation in your heart and he put them in your life? What do you think that means? I know we're tired of school, but I think you can figure that one out, right? Share. So we're gonna pray. I'm gonna try to catch my breath and we're gonna get out of here. But go ahead, bow your head and close your eyes and you know how it is around here. We don't do long, drawn-out, manipulative <laughs> um, altar calls or anything like that. But I do want to give you a moment to respond to God. So bow your head, close your eyes, and I want to ask you three questions. Um, and this is, you, can, you can respond by raising your hand because I want to be able to pray for you. The first one is, do you know somebody that needs to be reconciled to God and you want, you, you, you'd like for me to pray for you as you pray for them. Does anybody, is there anybody here? I know somebody that needs to be saved. I know somebody that needs to be saved. And will you just help me? Will you pray for me? I see you guys. I'll be praying for you as you pray for them. The next question, some of you are saved, but it's, you've been so beaten up by the world that you feel like, I don't see myself as a new creation in Christ. And I need to start seeing myself the way God sees me. And I want to start doing that. Matt, will you pray for me that I'll start doing that? Will you raise your hand? Awesome. Thank you, guys. Then the final one, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this, but the, the question I've got to ask is, have you been saved? Have you been reconciled to God? Has his righteousness been given to you? Has there been a time when you've turned in faith to Jesus
and believe that when he died on the cross, your sin died with him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, I wanna invite you to do that tonight. I don't need to lead you in a prayer. It's something that you believe. It's something that you trust. It's turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. And if you wanna do that tonight, do it now. Turn to Jesus and believe in Jesus. And if that's something that you're doing tonight or you have some questions or you just wanna share, hey, Matt, I, I did that. I'm now a new creation. I'd love to talk to you afterwards or your tag leader, your youth leader would love to talk to you afterwards and just like kind of celebrate and do a happy dance with you. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. And God, thank you so much. It almost seems petty and almost seems... <laughs> It just seems not enough to just thank you for what you did. But you've called us to more than just thanking you with our words. You've called us to thank with our lives. And so God, I pray for those of us that we know somebody that's not a Christian. We know somebody that needs this good news, this news of reconciliation. That You'll give us opportunities this week to share that good news with them. And God, I pray for teens that just feel absolutely beaten down, maybe by failures or by the way people have talked behind their backs or to them. God, they'll remember how you see them. They'll remember that you see their heart and you see who you have created, created them to be, that you're a new creation in Jesus. Um, and God, I pray if there's someone tonight that doesn't know that they're saved, they don't, they, they don't have that assurance of knowing um, that they are a new creation. And God, that they, they will find assurance tonight that if they need someone to talk to, they'll talk to me or talk to one of the leaders. God, thank you that you still save people and thank you for sending Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.